endurance, power, strength, balance. That's what it's all about. Living a life that is healthy, that is right, involves endurance, power, strength, balance. Last Sunday, we talked about endurance. Writer to Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's true for us, isn't it? Right? In 2017, we, we have this, this wonderful heritage as a church. We, we can talk about the heritage of Calvary, all that we've seen God do in this place and, and through this church over the years. And, and, and not just Calvary, this, this fellowship that we're a part of. The Assemblies of God, in a little over a hundred years that the Assemblies of God has been in existence, what, what our fellowship has, has experienced and, and the impact that we've seen around the world. And, and not just in the Assemblies of God, in Christendom, in, 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 the, in, the, in the body of Christ, and not just in Christendom. We can go back to the days before Christ, right? And see how God worked through heroes of the faith, amazing heroes of the faith. And so we have all these different witnesses that we can follow their pattern. We can learn from their experience, from their life. We can, we can talk about the goodness of God, the wonder of God, the faithfulness of God, and, and the power of God. And because of that, because of the, the evidence that we have of all that God has done in so many lives, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it, it makes sense that we would throw off everything that hinders us. Right? I, I love that term too. I, I love the way uh, that God instructed the, the word to be written there, that we throw off everything that hinders us. It, it doesn't say to deal with it. It doesn't say to, 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 to set it aside. It says throw it off, to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. I don't know if you can relate to that. I, can I offer this to you? Uh, I can relate to that. That sin that so easily entangles, right? It so easily entangles. And, and let us instead, let us run with perseverance the race that's marked before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? He is the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. And we're to fix our eyes on him, understanding that for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross, despising or scorning its shame, right? And, uh, and, and he, he not only endured the cross, but he rose again on the third day. That's what we celebrated last week. That's what we celebrated on Resurrection Day on Easter Sunday. He rose on the third day, seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and here's what it says in, in, in Hebrews 12, 3. It says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. God, it is, it is my prayer today that each one of us, that we would follow your example and that we would live our lives in such a way that we would not grow weary and lose heart. We thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And God, we, we give this time to you do in us and through us whatever you want to do. We commit our time, we commit our attention, we commit our heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So many good, so many good uh, stories uh, begin uh, with, with this statement, right? Based on a true story. Based on a true story. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, here's, here's where you find yourself, okay? So, middle of your Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, okay? So, the beginning of the New Testament, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. These are, these, these are the, looking at the life, the journey of Jesus through the lens of four different individuals, and then we get into the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it starts th this way. In Acts 1, it says this. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, and, and, and what we have is this, is we have Luke. And Luke has done extensive research. And he is, he is writing 
to this colleague, Theophilus, and explaining to him who Jesus is and how the church is formed. And here's what we can be confident in, is that Luke, number one, is writing under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Number two, he is writing what is known to be true. He's writing what is known to be factual. And so what we find in the book of Acts, it is based not on theory. It's based not on fable. It's based on fact. It's based on fact. And it's important that we understand this. It's important that we embrace this. Because for some strange reason, far too many in the body of Christ fail to embrace what we find in the book of Acts, and, and, and more than fail to embrace it, we fail to incorporate it in our lives. Because the book of Acts is all about the birth of the church. It's all about what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And it's about how he resources us for what it is that he's called us to do. Now, let me offer this statement of preface. We serve a God who has no need. Let me say that again. We serve a God who has no need. And it is not by works that we earn a connection with God, that we earn relationship with God, um, you know, that, we, that, that it causes God to smile. All right? You are saved by grace through faith, right? Not by works. And, and we, the Bible tells us that in, in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says that you're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But the very next verse says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, if we're not saved by works, then why is it that God has this stuff that he wants us to do? Now, there are some who might wrongly conclude that it's because God needs stuff done and he needs you to do it. That's not true. God has no need. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. So God is everywhere, knows everything, and is all-powerful. He spoke the word and the world came to order. He spoke the word and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field were created. He spoke the word and it was. All God has to do is speak the word. And yet here's what he does. He actively engages you and I in life. And he plans these things for us to do. Well, if it's not that God needs us to do it, it must be then that he's planned this activity for our development, for our growth, and for our benefit, for our blessing. You see, God has a plan for your life. God has a destiny for you. He has a journey that he wants you to take. And he has things that he wants you to do and things that he wants you to accomplish. And he wants you to accomplish these things for your benefit and your blessing, not because he needs you to do it. Understand this, okay? That we do, we do not serve a works-based God. We, this, we don't have a, a works-based existence. But the activity that God wants us to engage in, it is for our benefit and our blessing. Right? And so here's what happens though. It's real easy to go, okay, great. You know what? God's called me to do this. I want to get after it. And yet we find this in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we, we find that that Jesus says something that's very interesting. It's very interesting to the people in the moment, and it, it rings powerfully true to us still yet today. And, and, and I, I, I want us to look at this together. So Acts chapter 1, okay, let's look at starting in, actually, we're going to begin at Acts 1, 1. And uh, I want to look at Acts 1, 1 through 11. And here's what it says. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, right? So after Jesus went, to the, went on the cross, rose on the third day, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
he, he actually appeared to over 500 people. Okay? And, and it says this in verse, verse 4. It says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So what is the gift that he's referring to here in Acts chapter 1. He's referring to the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, on the upper room, in the upper room, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, the night before he was crucified, Jesus talked extensively about this issue and about the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and, in fact, Jesus said this. He said, listen, it's very important for you that I go away. It's beneficial for you that I go away. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I don't go away, the counselor doesn't come. And, and it, it is wise, it is good that I go away to where the Holy Spirit can come and fill that void. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, right? And he will be an encouragement, an empowerment, and a strength to you. And so Jesus comes back to that upper room teaching here in Acts chapter 1, and he says this. He says, listen, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive this, this gift that my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're, the the, the uh, Disciples are asking that question because they still don't fully understand what it is that God's calling them to do. And notice, notice the question. They say, Jesus, are you at this time going to do what we think you should do? Right? Here is what they failed to see even at this point. That it wasn't what Jesus was going to do for them, it was what he was going to do through them. And I love that. I love the fact that it's not just about what God does for me, it's about what God does through me. That he lets me be an active participant in his kingdom, I think is a, is a cool thing. I do. I, I, I just think that's a cool thing. You know what? Knowing, knowing that there are people that walk in active relationship with God because of my testimony, I love that. I love that. The, the opportunities that I have to personally to share Christ with people and, and to pray with them to accept Christ. You know what? There is, there's no greater feeling in the world than helping introduce somebody to Jesus. And, and, and then on a larger level, knowing that there's a little girl, a little girl in Bulgaria that has shoes today because of my missions giving, because your missions giving. Knowing that there are people that will eat in Montenegro today because of my missions giving and your missions giving. Knowing that a pastor is being trained in Cuba. Knowing that in a country that cannot be named, that is one of the key countries that produces Islamic terrorism. Knowing that there are over, listen to this, 70,000 believers in that country that you'll never hear about in the press. 13 imams have come out and made public professions of for Christ. Two of them have been, have been martyred for their faith, and yet people are still coming to Christ left and right. And, and we are a part of that because of what we're doing in missions. To know that God lets us be a part of that, to, I will tell you on a personal level, to know that God lets me be a part of that, I just think it's the coolest thing on the planet. I really do. The fact that God doesn't just have us watch, but that he lets us engage in it, right? And so the, 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 the disciples, they, they don't, in, in Acts chapter 1, they don't really have that figured out yet. And so it's still about, God, what are you going to do for us? Jesus, what are you going to do for us? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, don't worry about that. All right, that's what he says. Look, in, in Acts chapter 1, right? They say, when they met together, Lord, are you, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. Don't worry about those things. Here's what I want you to focus on, right? That's what he says, Acts 1.8. But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He makes this statement and then 
as they're standing there on the Mount of Olives, he ascends into heaven. It's the very last thing that he says in his earthly ministry. Now, I don't know what it's like in your world, but can I tell you something? In my world, those final statements that we make, right? I I can spend the week visiting my parents, and we'll talk about all sorts of things. We'll, we'll talk about the weather, we'll talk about different family things, we'll reminisce, uh, we'll talk about, if I'm spending time with my parents, we're definitely gonna talk about politics because my dad's watched Fox News 23 hours a day for the last three months, and so uh, he catch, catches me up to speed on everything that I need to know um, to, to make sure that my, um, that, that my conservatism is in, is in check and that somehow I haven't embraced some um, liberal, liberal ideology according to my father's perspective. And, um, and so, you know, he kind of has to keep me on the straight and narrow. Uh, and so we, we, will, we will engage in all of that. But in those final moments together, we're not talking about the weather. In those final moments, we're not talking about politics. In those final moments, we're not chit-chatting about some family experience or reminiscing, right? In those final moments, knowing that our time is now short, uh, we become uh, very intentional about what we say. And, And that's when the most powerful words are spoken, right? Mom, Dad, thank you so much for investing uh, in us, and thank you so much just for giving us your time. Son, it always thrills us when you come to visit. And know this, we're so proud of everything that you're doing. We love you, we're praying for you, right? It's in those final moments, right, that the most significant things are said in conversations. And in Jesus' final statement before he ascends into heaven, he says this, he says, listen, I don't want you worried about all of this. Here's what I want you to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends. And, and, and here's, here's, I love the picture of this. Here's what the disciples do. They stand there and they watch him. What is, go, right? And then they're just standing there staring into heaven, probably collectively going, where did he go? Where he, he's just, he just kind of disappeared into that cloud, <laughs> Right? And then the angel, uh, an angel appears before them and says, why are you standing up staring into the clouds? Did he not tell you this was going to happen? Right? He told you he was going to go away. He told you to go wait. All right? And if he went, he's going to come back. So go do what he told you to do. So they go, uh, okay. Right? So they stop staring into the clouds and, and they go back to Jerusalem and, uh, and, they, and they wait. And on the day of Pentecost, they're together and they experience the first wave, the first outpouring of this thing that Jesus had talked about during his earthly ministry, that he had talked about extensively in John chapter 14, that he referred to in Acts chapter 1. When he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, let me say this. This issue of power, the power of God, what we refer to as Pentecostal power, and the reason that we refer to it as Pentecostal power is because it first happened on the day of Pentecost. Okay? So we just kind of co-opted that word. And, and so what we refer to as Pentecostal power it, it, it was first experienced there on the day of Pentecost. And, and here's, here's what I want you to know. I, I, want, I, want you to, I want you to understand this. Because far too many of God's people live their life wanting God to do things for them. And wanting God to do things to them. And they miss out, we miss out on so much of what God has in store for us because we fail to recognize that God wants to do it through us. 
He wants to engage us. He wants us to be involved in it. And God wants you to walk with a confidence. He wants you to live your life knowing that you are more than an overcomer. He wants you to live your life knowing that you're a spiritual champion. He wants you to live your life knowing that everything that you need for life and godliness, he makes available to you. All the power that you need, God has already provided for you. It, 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 it echoes what we, what we find in, in, in the Old Testament when he says to Gideon, he says, go in the strength that you have, right? So God's given you everything that you need. He's given you this power that you need. It, it, it's, there's something to be said about tapping into that power though. So I, I want to talk real quickly about, about what spiritual power is not and what spiritual power is. Now, now, number one, let me say this, that spiritual power is not emotionalism. It's not emotionalism. And, and it's real easy, especially if you've grown up in a charismatic environment, or, or maybe you haven't grown up in a charismatic environment, and the first time that you came to a church like Calvary, it freaked you out. Okay, um, if, 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 if that's your journey, can I tell you, I can relate to that. Because I, I didn't grow up in church, and, and the little bit of time as a kid that I was in church, um, I was in a very conservative Baptist church. I was in a church that taught me that a lot of the stuff that this church believes, yeah, not so much. In, in fact, I, I was taught this, that you, y'all are a bunch of demon-possessed, freaked-out people that I need to stay away from because you people charm snakes and swing from chandeliers and jump pews. Okay. Number one, we don't have pews anymore. Uh, number two, we've never had chandeliers. And um, any snakes that are on the property, I want them killed because I'm definitely afraid of snakes. And, and so that's just, just not where we live. It's not what we do, right? And, and then there's this thing that's really kind of, kind of out there for a lot of people, this whole thing about speaking in tongues, all right? People go, that. Seriously, that speaking in the tongues business, that's got to be of the devil, right? And so that's the little bit I knew about this growing up. I knew that it was not right, that it was not for today, and that it was, and that if I experienced it, that it probably was of the devil. Now, that put me into an interesting situation my junior year in high school, my junior year in high school, I, I had I drifted very far from God. Uh, I, I, I accepted Christ uh, when I was in second grade, actually the summer before my second and third grade year, uh, but had wandered very far from God. And in the first day of school, my junior year in high school, I, I recommitted my life to Christ after being um, hit by a car, ended up in the hospital, and God spoke to me and, and just made it very clear of who he was and, and, and the, the importance of surrendering my life to him. And it was, it, was not, uh, it was not too long after that, a few weeks after that, that I was praying uh, before we're going to bed, and and I, I went from praying in a language that I know to a language that I didn't know, and it didn't seem unusual to me. It didn't seem abnormal to me. It, it wasn't like some spirit took over my body and my mouth was moving uncontrollably. It was something that I had control over. But I just found myself, and the best way that I can explain it is this: is I was I was praying in my it just just thoughts were coming uh, that I was praying and, and it kind of shifted from praying from thoughts were coming out of my head to just praying just kind of an, out of an overflow out of my heart, right? Um, and so I thought it was kind of cool but didn't really know what it was and, and so the next day after school I went to, um, to the church that I was attending at the time, this Baptist church and not too far from our house in Davenport, Iowa, and, and uh, met with the, the youth pastor, and he explained to me uh, what it was and, um, and walked me through and then told me of some churches that I could visit because he told me I couldn't come to that church anymore because uh, they didn't believe it and didn't do it. I said, really? I said, you just showed it to me in the Bible. And he goes, yes, I know, but we don't do that, so you need to go be with your people. And so, yeah, so at 15 years of age, I was off to look for my people, and you are my people. And so, um, yeah. But here's, so here's what I've discovered in the journey and what I see in the Word of God. Number one is this, is Pentecost is not emotionalism, okay? So every decision that you make is a decision of the mind, the will, and emotion. And, and I think it would be wrong, in fact, I think it's unhealthy for a church to suppress emotion. It, 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 because, because we're made physically, emotionally, spiritually, it, it would make sense that when we engage with God, that we would engage with God with every aspect of our being. 
right? And that includes emotion. But that looks different for different people, right? In fact, look around here on Sunday mornings. You'll find this. You'll find you've got this. You've got, let's talk about clappers, okay? So you've got people that are, right? And this is it, man. This is, the, I mean, the glory's coming down when they're doing this, all right? Right? And then you've got the people that are like, you know, woo, woo, right? And if you're this person and this person's standing next to you, you're like, seriously, Okay, no more Starbucks before church. You, you need to decaffeinate, you need to do something, right? And, and the person that is, you know, like this is being judged by the person that's like this and the person that is like this is being judged by the person that's like this, right? Because if you're, woo, if you're a glory person and there's just somebody standing there, you're like, well, they're not as spiritual as I am because they're not as loud and, you know, and, and frothed up. And, and if you're a person that your personality is a bit more subdued and you look at this person, you're like, they, like, now I believe in adult ADHD. Look at that right there. It, Pentecost is not emotionalism, but it, 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 it really isn't. It's, it's Pentecost is much more than fluff on fire. It, it, yet it is going to impact you at an emotional level. All right? And, and so we, we understand that how it impacts us emotionally, that that's, a, that's, an, that's an effect. That's not, that's not the core. Right? Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. It says this, All the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets, for God is not an author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Right? I've heard people say this, I just can't help myself hogwash, okay? So let, let, me, let me say this, that we're, we're, we're a church, Calvary, we're a church that we appreciate uh, expression and worship. Here's the key. Some of you might want to write this down, that we want you to be expressive in worship. We want there to be a freedom in worship. Why? Because when the presence of God is moving, it, 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 it's going to impact you emotionally, okay? Here's the thing, it shouldn't adversely impact the people around you, okay? If you're somebody that, man, the, the, spending time in the presence of God just, just causes you to just to want to dance, okay? That's great. Look at this whole area over here, okay? Let me tell you where you can't dance at Calvary right here, all right? If you want to dance here, and especially if you want to dance here facing out there, you're not dancing for the Lord, but over there, it's all good, okay? If, if, if you're kind of crazy about it, we may send you to the balcony, all right? If you're somebody that you go, man, I just want to raise a banner for the Lord. You want to raise a banner? Fine. That, you're seriously going to the balcony, right? Because here's what I can't have. I can't have you showing up with your glory banner. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I had this experience one time. I was the executive pastor at a church in Wisconsin uh, back in the mid-90s. And there was one particular Sunday where I didn't have to be on the platform. That was back in the day. Some of you remember this. Uh, but it, we used to have in church where we had these big massive chairs on the platform and the pastors had to sit on the chairs on the platform like we were sitting on thrones, right? And, uh, and it was really, it was horrible. It was not prestigious. It was awful um, because you had to, especially, especially if the pastor was particularly dull, you had to look like you were paying attention. And, uh, and then you had these spotlights and so it just, you felt like you were looking at a train all day long. So, um, and one particular Sunday, I didn't have to be on the platform and I was in the back and somebody came in and they came in with, with a flag that was big enough that it would have been impressive at a halftime show uh, in, in the swamp. And so, uh, and, and uh, worship starts and all of a sudden I hear this, and I look up and there's this flag and I'm like, oh my goodness, what is, what is that? You shouldn't have to experience that in church, folks, Right? And, and I understand, listen, I understand this issue of expressiveness, and we're going to have expressiveness in church. And can I tell you, with what God's doing at Calvary, as we're growing, we're going to continue to see good things happening and cool things happening. And when that happens in church, here's the way I describe it. I say this, that the, gr the granola factor goes up. You get a bit more flakes and nuts. And, and you know what? Can I just, can I offer this to you? We're totally cool with that here, right? Because what we'll do is we'll help guide you, we'll help steer you. 
Okay? And you can, here's what you can be, here's what you can be confident of. Okay? From time to time, goofy things are going to happen at Calvary. You know why? Because we welcome people in. Okay? We, we, we do not orchestrate the goofiness. I just want you to know that. Okay? And we pastor the goofiness. Not, 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 not for more goofiness. We, we pastor them to channel their goofiness into godliness. Right? But you're going to have that. And, and you know what? Can I tell you what? I'm okay with that. Um, and if, if that's something that kind of is different for you, can I, can I just offer you this? And I say this from time to time. You will not find a better performing arts center in all of Orlando. And Orlando is one of the entertainment capitals of the world. If nothing else, you can come on Sunday and enjoy the show. But church is not supposed to be this stoic, right, place. But it's, it's not crazy emotionalism either. Pentecost, it has an emotional component to it, but it's not simply emotionalism. It's also not simply intellectualism. Here, here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2. It says this. Uh, Paul said this. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about our God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words, but with a demonstration of God's power that, that you wouldn't allow, allow your faith to rest on man's wisdom, but instead that your faith would rest on the power of God. So here's what we see is that, is that Pentecost, this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's not simply emotionalism, although there's an emotional component to it. It's not simply intellectualism. There's, a, there, there's power that's associated to it, uh, but it's not devoid of intellectualism either. It's also, let me tell you what Pentecost is not. Pentecost is not salvation, right? This issue of the power of God, there is the saving grace of God in your life, and you can live in that saving grace of God and never tap into the power of God. We, we see this... Uh, we, we see this uh, in, in Acts 19. Apollos, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the, 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 the interior road and he arrived in Ephesus. And when he arrived in Ephesus, he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered and they said, no, we have, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul lays hands on them, prays for them, and they begin to speak in tongues, speaking in this, 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 this not... Uh, earthly language, but a heavenly language. They begin speaking in this, this heavenly language, and they begin prophesying. And, and so, uh, so we, we see that it is separate from salvation. It's also, let me say this, it's not sanctification. That's, that's, a, that's a big word, but let me tell you what that means. It means this. It means that if you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've embraced the gift of the Holy Spirit with, with, with the power that comes with that and the ministry gifts that are connected to that, speaking in tongues, uh, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, uh, those spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, just because you have those gifts doesn't mean necessarily that you're a mature Christian. And understand this, that spiritual gifts don't make you a better person than the person, than the individual that does not operate in those gifts. All right? What it does do is it makes you better equipped. But it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you a better person. So, so this issue of spiritual power, it's not emotionalism, it's not intellectualism, it's not salvation, it's not sanctification. What is it? Here's what it is. It's... It's living with an evidence of the presence of God in our life, right? That's what Acts 10 says. It says, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, right? So God gives us this demonstration of spiritual gifts, including this thing called speaking in tongues. That tends to be the one that, that folks get tripped up on a lot. Okay? They get freaked out over. And it's amazing to me that people get freaked out over speaking in tongues, and yet it's in the Bible. Right? Well, pastor, I know it's in the Bible, but the church that I came from said that it's not for today. It's an interesting argument to say that it's not for today. 
You know the scripture that, that folks tend to look at to say that it's not for today? Is they look at, 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 at 1 Corinthians 12. Right? In 1 Corinthians 13. And here's what it says, going from 1 Corinthians Corinthians 12 into 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. And then then there's a pause in between. So 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 actually talk about spiritual gifts. And there's this kind of pause in the middle. So you got 1 Corinthians 12, spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts. Then there's this pause in the middle, 1 Corinthians 13, that says, okay, let's, let's get some perspective. Okay? And what is the perspective? And here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. It says, listen, if I speak with the, with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I am a resounding gong. I'm clashing cymbals. I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable, unhealthy, obnoxious noise, and that's it. Right? And, and it goes on, and, and, and it speaks about this issue of love and the importance of walking and living in love and what love is and what love is not. And then after it gives this wonderful expression of love, it says this. It says, where there are tongues, they shall cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. Right? And so there are those that will say that with the Bible, because the Bible is perfect, that with the giving of the Bible, there was no longer a need for this, these spiritual gifts that are listed there in 1 Corinthians 12. Well, well, specifically, tongues and prophecy, that we don't need those anymore because now we have the Bible and the Bible's perfect. The problem with that is this, is It says, where there is tongues, they shall cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And the Bible says this. It says that knowledge hasn't passed away. In fact, the Bible says this, that in the last days, that knowledge will rapidly increase. We see that, don't we? We see knowledge rapidly increasing. And so, you can't have it both ways. You can't have have knowledge rapidly increasing and yet say, okay, this scripture says where there is tongues, they shall cease. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Okay, the tongues ceasing, that, that happened in 315 AD and knowledge passing away, well, that's going to happen sometime in the 2000s, right? It, it says this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, for now we see through a glass or a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13, when it refers to the issue of perfection, it's not referring, it's not referring to the completion, the canonization of the Bible. It's referring to that day when Jesus comes and he calls all of us home. Until that day, all of these spiritual gifts are available to us. Okay? These gifts, these Pentecostal gifts. Now, there are some who will go, well, that's fine, but, you know, I still think it's kind of weird, and so I, I, I just don't want it. Understand this. You'll never have anything pushed on you or pressured on you here. I just think it's important that you know it and understand it. Okay? There's a reason why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Right? And, and, and by the way, he said that as, 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 a, as a preface statement to saying, look, I, 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 I speak in tongues. I'm glad that I speak in tongues. I'm glad I, 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 I praise God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But here's what, I, here's what I know. I don't do this thing for a show. In fact, when, when I'm around other people, I, I would rather not speak in tongues at all if it's going to cause somebody to struggle. Right? And so, so Paul's statement, though, he, he, he says, listen, I'm glad that I do this. And, and here's what I want you to know. I, every day, as a part of my prayer time, I will pray. And, and I do this. And it's, it's scripturally supported. We are supposed to pray in the Spirit and with understanding. We're supposed to sing in the Spirit and sing with understanding. And so I will find myself, even this morning as we were here worshiping, I, I find myself worshiping and, and singing the songs uh, with the words that were on the screen. And, and then I find myself singing a melody with words that my mind does not understand. 
but they, it flows out of my heart or, or out of my soul, right? The, the Bible calls it, calls it the language of angels, an, an angelic language, right? And that's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And in this gift that God has given us, to be able to, to be able to communicate in a, such a way that it's, that it's pure communication from our soul and not stuff that gets filtered from the mind. That's a great thing. It's a great gift. It's a gift that was introduced at Pentecost. It was something that the early believers tremendously embraced. Why? Because they saw value in it. And, and I, I'm concerned that we have, even in churches like Calvary, in a, a church that calls itself a Pentecostal church, that we have a, a sizable group of people that go, I'm all in on this Jesus thing, but this power thing, oh, I don't know. So here, here's what I... Here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. I, I want to challenge you with this. At the very least, do not summarily dismiss the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including this gift of this heavenly language that God wants to give you that will assist you in worship, it will assist you in prayer. It will assist you in your interaction with God. Here's what I find. I find this. When I pray in the Spirit and when I worship in the Spirit, my soul is refreshed. And I find myself energized for the day. I don't have any problem with it, even though... Some of my former legalistic church friends might think it's goofy weird because I, I see it in the Bible, right? Paul did this. Peter did this. Matthew, James, John, they did it. And, and here's what's cool. It wasn't just the apostles that did it, right? These people in Ephesus did it. A bunch of Gentiles that were that were in a that were at a house of this guy named Cornelius. They did it, and you know what? Hundreds of people that you worship with every Sunday, they do it. I, as your pastor, I, I do it. It's it, but it's not something that's that's just there for the spiritually elite. It's something that's there for you as well. And, and God wants you to tap into this power that's available to you. Well, I don't want to do something that is going to, that is going to make me seem weird or embarrassing. Well, I can appreciate that. I get that. But here's the part that a lot of people don't understand or know is this. God will never force his way into your life. Jesus will never cram salvation down your throat. And the Holy Spirit will never, will never engage with you in a spiritual gifting that you don't want to engage in. I, I've never met somebody who went, oh, I didn't want to speak in tongues, but all of a sudden it just, I should have bought a Honda come out, you know? Or, or an Acura if you're more in the luxury line. And so, um, I've never seen that. I've never seen somebody who has given a word of prophecy that they've went, I didn't want to do that just all of a sudden, right? I've never seen that. Well, I've seen people in church services that fall over it. So have I. Write this down. If you never want to fall over in church, you will never fall over in church. Okay? Uh, 
unless you go to a church and the evangelist is trying to push you down, okay? And many of us have been in that service, right? I've been in the service where the evangelist was pushing people down. And, and actually, as a staff pastor, we had this guest speaker, and he was pushing people down. And, and he came to me, and I said, do not push me. I didn't say it loudly because I didn't want the whole church to hear me. I just leaned in. I said, do not push me. I said, if, if God wants to do something, that's fine. But you're not doing it. And he just went, okay, and walked on to the next person. Um, <laughs> In fact, and here's what you'll find with me. When I'm praying with people at the altar, if I have a sense that they're about to, I will actually, I'll actually take my hands off of them because I don't ever want somebody to be confused by that. But, but what happens is this, okay? Actually, I want to talk about this for a second. What happens when you see somebody fall, okay? God has not pushed them down, okay? Um, in fact, they use this term in, 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 some, in the church. They call it being slain in the spirit. I hate that term because nobody's slain. Okay, slain. Anyway, um, here's what happens. When, when we in our humanity, when we find ourselves in, in, in the presence of God, it, it will impact us in some really, some, I think, some very cool ways. Sometimes what you'll find is this. You'll find somebody that'll just be standing there and they'll just be, they'll begin, tears will begin to flow, Right? And they're, and, and they're not tears of sadness. They're just, it's just an emotional release. You'll see someone that, man, they're in the presence of God and they will get, such a joy will come over them that they'll get the, the giggles, right? And they'll just start, just, they'll just, they'll, they'll start laughing and it's, it's, it's a laughter that's coming from deep within their soul, right? And it's, it's encouraging, okay? It's heartwarming, by the way, if it's a creepy laughter, that's not from God, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and creepy laughter, one of our ushers are going to go and put a hand on somebody and go, no. Sometimes what happens is this, is, is somebody when they're, when they're just, they just sense the presence of God in such a way that the only logical response for them is just to completely yield to God and they'll, they'll, They'll go down. Nothing wrong with it. But that person has, has yielded in that moment. God did not push them down on the ground. See, this thing about Pentecost, it's very practical. And spiritual gifts are very, um, they're very vital. It's tools that God has given us. So much so that God says this. He says, don't go out and try to do what you think you should do until you receive the promise. Right? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So here's, here's what I want you to do. And we're going we're gonna to pick this up next Sunday. We're going to talk about strength. We're going to talk about walking in strength. Okay? And, um, and, uh, and, and so uh, I, I want to I I look at this issue of strength. I want you to, this week, I want you to take this matter before the Lord in prayer. Next Sunday what we're going to do is we're going to, we're, going to, we're going to pray for people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I, just, I just want to encourage you to, to process this through, pray it through, and say, okay, God, is there any reason why I should not do this? Because I see it in your word. I, I see that your, that your followers, that they embrace this thing, spiritual gifts. Is there any reason why I shouldn't do this? By the way, if, if, you have, if you have questions, email me this week, okay? I'll respond to your, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your questions. I, I want you to have a thorough understanding of this. I want you to walk, I want you to live in the power of God. Well, pastor, I, I've been a Christian for, for 20 years and I, I've gotten along fine without it. Yeah. But imagine what life would be like with it. This is a goofy illustration, but uh, let me illustrate it to you this way. 
I, uh, I enjoy playing the game of golf. And I can, most people, most, one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they, when, they, when they swing a golf club is they will do this. They will swing with their arms, right? And uh, because, of my, because of how tall I am, I can hit a golf ball about 200 yards if I just swing my arms. But if I swing properly, which is swinging with your core, coming through with your body, I can hit a golf ball about a little over 300 yards. It's the difference between a good game and a great game. Those of you that are softball, baseball people, you know what? You can hit base hits just swinging with your arms, right? But you watch somebody who loads up and swings with the power that's in their core, it's a difference between a base hit and a home run. And here's what God wants you. He wants you to experience home runs in your life. He, he, want, he wants you to live life to its full. And right now you're doing it in, 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 in your strength. But he wants you to tap into that strength of the core. And, and, and can I tell you, the Christian journey is most fulfilling when we're walking in the spiritual gifting that God makes available to us. And I, wa- I, want you to, I want you to walk in that. I want you to live in it. I want you to know it. Okay? And listen, I, I've, I've chosen to do it this way. I, I've chosen to not do an altar call this morning because intentionally I wanted to give you a week to process this. I don't want anyone to ever feel like we're pushing stuff on you. But as a pastor, I would be remiss if I did not give you the opportunity to understand this issue of spiritual gift and and, and to embrace it and incorporate it into your life. By the way, if if you're anxious and you don't want to wait, let me offer you this. I first experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit praying one night before I went to bed. You don't, you don't, need, you don't need a choir and a Hammond B3 organ to experience the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.